Welcome to TSX Quarterly, the podcast that brings you publicly available earnings calls from companies listed on the Toronto Stock Exchange in one convenient location. Gone are the days of looking through confusing websites. You'll find the important information right here. Enjoy the call. Thank you for standing by, and welcome to the Q2 earnings call for Algonquin Power and Utilities Corporation. At this time, all participants are in a listen-only mode. After the speaker's presentation, there will be a question and answer session. To ask a question during the session, you will need to press star 1 on your telephone. If you require any further assistance, please press star 0. I'd now like to hand the conference over to your speaker today, Ms. Amelia Song. Thank you. Please go ahead, Amelia. Thank you. Good morning, everyone. Thanks for joining us this morning for our second quarter earnings conference call. Presenting the call today are Arun Vanskoda, our President and Chief Executive Officer, and Arthur Kasperzak, our Chief Financial Officer. Also joining us this morning for the question and answer part of the call will be Jeff Norman, our Chief Development Officer, and Johnny Johnson, our Chief Operating Officer. To accompany our earnings call today, we have a supplemental webcast presentation available on our website, AlgonquinPowerAndUtilities.com. Our financial statements and management discussion and analysis are also available on the website, as well as on CEDAR and EDGAR. Before continuing the call, we would like to remind you that our discussion during the call will include certain forward-looking information, including but not limited to our expectations regarding future earnings and capital expenditures. At the end of the call, I will read a notice regarding both forward-looking information and non-GAAP financial measures. Please also refer to our most recent MDNA filed on CEDAR and EDGAR and available on our website for additional important information on these items. On our call this morning, Arun will provide an overview of our Q2 performance. Arthur will follow with the financial results, and then Arun will conclude with an update on our strategic plan for the business. We will then open the lines for questions. I ask that you restrict your questions to two and then requeue if you have any additional questions to allow others the opportunity to participate. And with that, I'll turn it over to Arun. Thank you, Amelia. And a very good morning to those who've been able to join us on the call and online. And a special welcome to today, uh, since it's a Friday the 13th. I'm pleased to report solid year-over-year -year growth in our key financial metrics for the second quarter of the year. Q2 adjusted EBITDA was $244.9 million, a 39% increase year over year. And our Q2 adjusted net earnings per share was 15 cents, an increase of 67% compared to last year's 9 cents. I'm pleased to report solid year over year earnings growth from the addition of approximately 1,400 megawatts of new renewable generation projects. These were in construction over the course of last year and this year. And this quarter's progress brings the 1,600 megawatts of projects that began construction in 2020 close to completion. We are also starting to see benefits from the first full year of operations from our Bermuda Electric Utility, as well as the Estal Water Utility in Chile which both closed late last year 
and have both performed in line with our expectations. I'm pleased to report that the company's operating results, results were not materially impacted by the pandemic this quarter. Recall that in the second quarter last year, the pandemic did have a one cent impact on earnings per share. Generally speaking, we have not seen negative impacts from COVID on our loads at this stage, as business conditions in the regions we operate in slowly return to normal. Approximately 60% of the company's workforce continues to work remotely, and we continue to employ operational measures intended to protect the health and safety of our employees and customers. Over the coming months, the company is planning to return to base operations as the impact of the pandemic further diminish. However, we will continue to keep watch for any developments with the Delta variant and adjust accordingly. Our team continues to focus our efforts on Algonquin's three strategic pillars, growth, operational excellence, and sustainability. We operate through two primary businesses, regulated and renewables, and we'll spend some time on each for an update. On the regulated side, one important lever of growth is our Greening the Fleet initiative. We continue to make investments for the benefit of our customers as we accelerate our transition to a clean energy future. During the second quarter, we successfully completed our Midwest Greening the Fleet initiative as all three wind facilities, North Fork Ridge, Kings Point, and Neosho Ridge, have been placed in service and have been acquired by the Empire District Electric Company. The related closer of the Ashbury Coal Plant in March 2020 comes approximately 15 years ahead of its original retirement schedule, in accordance with our most recently filed integrated resource plan, and is expected to reduce emissions by nearly 1 million metric tons of carbon dioxide as we work to generate and deliver cost-effective, diverse, and sustainable energy solutions for our customers and communities. We continue to be responsible stewards of our energy infrastructure assets, as we are an early pioneer in seeking to build renewables into rate base. The early retirement of Asbury has also contributed to the reduction in the company's total scope one greenhouse gas emissions, as well as reducing scope one and scope two emissions intensity per dollar of revenue by 26% since 2017, the year in which the company acquired Empire. The completion of the Midwest Greening Initiative is just one more step on our path to reduce emissions. Liberty recently filed an application with the California Public Utilities Commission to approve financing, construction, and operations of the Looning Expansion Project, which is expected to be a combined 60 megawatt solar facility and 240 megawatt hour lithium ion battery storage facility that will benefit Liberty's customers by adding reliability, resiliency, 
and price stability in addition to meeting Liberty's renewable portfolio standards energy supply objectives. Since 2017, we have already reduced the carbon intensity of CalPICO by 46%. And this new investment, if approved, will help us continue to decarbonize and provide cost savings over the long term to our customers. Another important growth lever in the regulated business is the organic investments in improving the safety and reliability of our mission-critical infrastructure. Working with our local regulators, we strive to make the ongoing necessary investments to improve service for our customers while managing the affordability of their bills. Rate case activity across our jurisdictions continues to be quite active, and I wanted to provide you with a few regulatory updates in some of the jurisdictions that we operate in. In the second quarter, we filed our Missouri electric rate case with the commission at the end of May, which included seeking cost recovery of the three recently completed 600 megawatts of wind generation facilities mentioned earlier. In addition, while our original filing included costs related to the impact of winter storm Uri, legislation has subsequently been passed, which will allow for these items to be securitized a path which we intend to pursue. Apple Valley, which operates in California, was the subject of a condemnation lawsuit filed by the town of Apple Valley. For the last few years, we have been in legal proceedings over the water system and recently received a tentative statement of decision that supports our continued ownership and operation of the system. We have a track record of providing safe and reliable water services, and we look forward to working with the town of Apple Valley to continue those services for the benefit of our customers. Staying on the topic of California, we filed our CalPICO rate case in May and filed our Parkwater Apple Valley rate case in July. Our California utilities will be the first to file rate cases seeking recovery of customer first, which I'll pro provide more details on later. In addition, we recently reached a tentative agreement for our Energy North gas system in New Hampshire. As part of the settlement, the commission authorized a permanent rate increase, which is expected to result in a revenue increase of $7.6 million based on a return of equity of 9.3% and equity capital structure of 52%. In addition, Energy North received an authorization for a property tax tracking mechanism, which is expected to further increase the predictability of earnings. Further, step adjustments of $4 million for 2021 and $3.2 million for 2022 were authorized as part of the settlement, pending further, further diligence and hearings. Lastly, on the regulatory front, we reached a constructive rate case outcome with the regulatory authority of Bermuda, marking the first completed rate case since the acquisition of Belco in the fourth quarter of last year. Another lever of growth is acquisitions, 
and we completed two utility acquisitions in Q4 of 2020, Assam and Ascendant. The integration of these two utilities into the Algonquin Liberty family continues to go well. With our pending acquisition of New York American Water, we are currently going through the settlement process as important work continues to determine the best path forward on resolving issues related to the special franchise tax, we remain confident that Liberty is the best long-term owner of the utility and expect this transaction to close within the recently extended timeline set out in the stock purchase agreement. Lastly, looking to the future of our gas utilities, we have begun exploring the utilization of renewable natural gas, or RNG, to better serve our customers. We have RNG projects in various stages of commercial development, and have already made a regulatory, regulatory filing in New Hampshire for the approval of supply agreement that includes a purchase option for Liberty to be the ultimate owner of the facility. Moving on now to operational excellence. In a mission-critical industry, safety and reliability are always the most important areas of focus. I'm pleased that we have passed the impressive milestone of 526 days and over 7 million safety hours without a single lost time injury, while keeping our customers and communities safe and maintaining our system reliability and resiliency. I also want to highlight some innovative approaches we are taking to support system resiliency. Our stagehand project in Calpico is a microgrid at a Berkeley research station at the end of four miles of transmission line in wildfire territory. By putting solar and storage onto the site, we are able to take the transmission line out of service during wildfire season while keeping the lights on for our customers, all for significantly lower cost than installing covered conductors to the four miles of transmission line through the environmentally sensitive port. In the non-wildfire season, when the transmission line is back, back in service, the microgrid is expected to provide additional resiliency. As previously mentioned, we are excited about the new digital experience for our customers through our Customer First program. During the second quarter, the team successfully completed the first major implementation of our new suite of SAP tools and systems at our Massachusetts gas utility. We will be rolling out this enhanced technology platform in a phased approach across the rest of the organization over the next couple of years. The customer is at the heart of every good operational excellence strategy. We have continued to bring customer folks into action by asking our customers after interactions with our team about their experience. This quarter, we have started the rollout of net promoter score measurements from our customers. This is on top of our existing JD Power service and will allow us to collect more timely and specific feedback to drive focused action as we continue to look to meet and exceed our customers' expectations. 
turning to the renewable side of the business. In the second quarter, our 492 megawatt Maverick Creek wind facility in Texas reached commercial operations and has a long-term power purchase agreement with General Mills and Kimberly Clark. There was a blade manufacturing error, which impacted 26 of the 73 turbines at Maverick Creek. But remediation work was completed in early June, with all 26 affected turbines returning to service. Our service agreement contains liquidated damage protections in favor of the company for revenue loss due to operating downtime. Alta Vista Solar, an 80-megawatt facility located in Virginia, also reached commercial operations in the second quarter. The facility has a 12-year power purchase agreement with Facebook. We are also excited to be collaborating with J.P. Morgan Chase on our Shady Oaks 2 wind construction project in Illinois, with J.P. Morgan Chase agreeing to purchase approximately 70% of the wind energy output which would contribute towards their 100% renewable energy commitment. All these projects showcase our strong relationships with key commercial and industrial CNI customers. The demand from CNI customers who are helping to drive an acceleration towards clean energy is expected to be an attractive source of growth for Algonquin in the coming years. And Algonquin is well positioned to help them advance their own sustainability targets. We recently closed the acquisition of a 51% interest in the West Raymond wind facility, which reached commercial operation in the third quarter and has a generating capacity of approximately 240 megawatts, which we had previously agreed to purchase from RWE. With the close of West Raymond, we have completed the acquisition of our 51% ownership interest in four wind projects from RWE located in South Texas with a total capacity of 861 megawatts and a net capacity of 439 megawatts. And finally, we remain firmly committed to sustainability through the inclusion of environmental, social, and governance values in our broader corporate strategy and day-to-day -day operations. Last year, we released our 2020 sustainability report, which not only outlined our progress on our ESG goals, but also provided a higher level of detail around nine priority issues. I'm pleased to say that we are making excellent progress on achieving our goals. We reached an important milestone with Algonquin now owning, operating, and having net interest in 4,000 megawatts of renewable generation across our two businesses. We are well on our way to achieving 75% renewable energy generation by 2023, another one of our sustainability targets. We have also added sustainability metrics to both our annual and long-term compensation for our, for our leaders this year, embedding sustainability into our compensation model. 
Another key ESG goal set out in our sustainability report is to add 2,000 megawatts of renewable power generating capacity between 2019 and the end of 2023. By the end of, 20, by the end of Q2, we have added over 1,400 megawatts of renewable generation, and we remain on track to achieving our 2023 target. We are focused on progressing and advancing our ESG disclosures to our stakeholders. I'm pleased to report that we recently launched a new data hub that can be found in the sustainability section of our corporate website, which is further evidence of our increasing breadth and transparency on ESG data. I encourage you to take a look at the data hub, which provides detailed information around our operational metrics, governance, and policy, amongst many other measures. Our efforts in sustainability continue to pay off, and we continue to receive external validation, including the recent inclusion of Algonquin into Corporate Knights 2021 Best 50 Corporate Citizens, ranking within the top quartile of our peer group of power, transmission, and distribution companies. With that, I'll pass it over to Arthur, who will speak to our second quarter 2021 financial results. Arthur. Thank you, Arun, and good morning, everyone. I'm pleased to report that Algonquin has made good progress to meeting its financial targets for 2021 with solid financial results for the second quarter. The Q2 results are underpinned by Algonquin's diversified and resilient business model and proven track record of ambitious but responsible growth. Turning to slide 11, our second quarter 2021 consolidated adjusted EBITDA was 244.9 million which is up approximately 39% from the 176.3 million we reported in the previous year. The regulated services group delivered 165.9 million in operating profit in the current quarter, which compares to 114.5 million in the same quarter last year. The year-over-year -year improvement is primarily attributable to the additional contribution from Belco, our Bermuda Electric Utility, and Asal, our Chilean Water Utility as both acquisitions closed in Q4 of last year, as well as from the contribution of our wind facilities that were placed in service as part of the Greening the Fleet initiative that Arun spoke of earlier. Results are also benefited from new rates implemented at the Granite State and Calpico electric systems, but were partially offset by higher fuel costs in the central region resulting from out-of-period resettlements relating to Storm Uri and increased operating expenses. I should also note that the regulated services group did not experience any material impacts from COVID-19 this quarter, but the comparative results from Q2 of 2020 were negatively impacted by the pandemic by approximately 9.6 million. The Renewable Energy Group reported Q2 divisional operating profit of 97.9 million, which compares to 82.7 million in the same quarter last year. The increase is primarily due to the addition of the Sugar Creek and Maverick Creek wind facilities and the Great Bay 2 solar facility. This was partially offset by lower production due to resource shortfalls, primarily across our wind portfolio. Excluding the impact of the newly added facilities, production at our renewable facilities was approximately 7% lower than last year, or approximately 12% below the long-term average expected production. I should also mention that our investment in Atlantica sustainable infrastructure 
continues to provide benefit to the renewable energy group's operating profit, with dividends received increasing by 2.1 million over the comparative quarter, supported by Atlantica's continued growth in cash flows. Quarter over quarter, corporate and administrative expenses remain generally flat. Interest and depreciation expenses both increased due to higher property, plant, and equipment, and the associated financing related to the acquisitions that closed late in 2020. Income tax expense was lower and benefited from renewable energy tax credits recognized. In total, our Q2 adjusted net earnings per share came in at 15 cents, which is up 67% from the 9 cents reported last year. Moving on to slide 12 to provide some updates on our 2021 capital plan and financing activities. During the quarter, Algonquin deployed approximately $1.2 billion of capital pertaining primarily to the previously discussed initiatives and initiatives relating to the safety and reliability of our electric, water, and gas system. This brings the total capital deployed so far this year to approximately $3.1 billion and on track to our expected capital deployment in 2021 of over $4 billion. Moving on to financing activities. I'm pleased to say that during the quarter, we made great progress in de-risking our five-year financing plan, further strengthening our balance sheet, and reinforcing our commitment to triple B-flat credit metrics. During the quarter, Algonquin completed a green mandatory equity units offering. Due to strong demand, the deal was upsized from the indicated 900 million size, and the full over-allotment option granted to the underwriters was exercised, bringing the total gross proceeds from the offering to 1.15 billion. The units are expected to receive 100% equity credit from Standard & Poor's. The transaction represents several firsts for Algonquin and the market in general. To our knowledge, this was the first green mandatory equity unit offering ever done, showcasing Algonquin's ongoing leadership and commitment to deploying capital to support sustainable initiatives. This was also the first offering by a Canadian issuer of a mandatory equity unit which are more frequently used by some of our utility peers in the U.S. As you maybe heard me mention in the past, what we find attractive about the mandatory equity units is the natural match they provide to our business in terms of when we pay for our capital and when we earn on it. The securities defer the issuance of shares until conversion after a three-year period, but receive 100% equity credit immediately from S&P. Investors benefit from an enhanced yield, and the issuer can partly benefit from share price appreciation, which can result in an overall lower cost of capital compared to common equity. Through this issuance, we have further expanded and diversified Algonquin's investor base and introduced another tool to fund future potential accretive growth opportunities. During the quarter, the company also utilized its ATM program, raising approximately $135 million of common equity. We view the ATM program as allowing us for cost-effective and opportunistic issuance of our common stock, but plan to remain disciplined in its use. To date, we have also received funding from over $1 billion from tax equity investors, monetizing the tax benefits associated with our renewable energy projects in the U.S. In total, I would say that we have satisfied the preponderance of our capital needs for the year and have positioned our balance sheet to continue to execute on Algonquin's growth plan. For the rest of the year, we will continue to monitor the hybrid debt markets as a potential opportunistic source of capital in the current low-yield low yield environment. 
Before I turn things over back to Arun, I'd like to provide a brief update on our 2021 guidance. Algonquin continues to execute well against its 2021 financial targets. As discussed, we have already delivered approximately 1,400 megawatts of new renewable generation capacity from our 2020 construction pipeline. In addition, we have and continue to expect to benefit from the first full year of operations from Belco NSL. Excluding the impact of the market disruption on the Senate wind facility related to Storm Uri in Q1, we continue to expect our 2021 adjusted net earnings per share to be within the range of 71 to 76 cents as communicated previously. We continue to assume in our earnings expectation normalized weather patterns, as well as resource availability and production at our renewable generation facilities that are within long-term averages. We also assume that the closing of New York American Water will occur sometime within the fourth quarter of 2021, although a further delay in the closing is not itself expected to materially impact our 2021 adjusted net earnings per share estimates. I also want to reiterate that our five-year capital plan of $9.4 billion remains on track. Having already deployed over $3 billion of capital this year, we are well on our way to meeting our five-year targets. With that, I'll now hand it back to Arun to outline our growth plans. Thanks, Arthur. Before we close out our prepared comments this morning, I want to give an update on our strategic initiative. As we look to simplify our business further, on August 6th, we took a step towards simplification by exercising the option to acquire Abengoa's interests in Aegis. Given the change in ownership, we will be referring to Aegis and associate enti entities as Liberty Development. Liberty Development will remain focused on advancing Algonquin's non-regulated development pipeline in North America and selected international markets. Abengoa's interests is expected to be acquired by funds managed by the infrastructure and power strategy of Aries Management LLC, with Algonquin retaining the right to acquire 100% of Liberty Development projects. We also anticipate that Aries will remain involved in projects until commercial operations. At Investor Day, we spoke about our $9.4 billion five-year investment plan from 2021 through 2025, which has identified projects that make up the entire $9.4 billion, with most of them now in operation, under construction, or in advanced stages of development. Let me provide the latest update. The following projects have reached commercial operations since last November. Maverick Creek, Sugar Creek, Alta Vista on the renewable side, while on the regulated side are three Midwest wind projects totaling $1.1 billion in investments were also completed. On the construction side, what our 175 megawatt Blue Hill wind project in Saskatchewan and 24 megawatt Valeo wind project in Quebec continue to progress well with turbine deliveries in flight. We are also progressing well on our new sites, demonstrating the ongoing execution of our development portfolio. Shady Oaks 2 
has signed an agreement with uh, J.P. Morgan Chase, as I discussed earlier, and the project commenced construction in May. We had also included two PGM solar projects that were an incremental additions at Investor Day. In the first quarter of 2021, we completed the acquisition of these two Ohio solar projects, which have an expected combined capacity of 235 megawatts, with the first project, New Market Solar, at 100 megawatts, having begun construction in May. We also recently executed equipment procurement contracts for both our Deerfield 2 and Sandy Ridge 2 wind projects. I note that recent inflation and commodity pricing trends will likely result in higher project costs. Conversely, off-state contracts have seen similar increases in pricing recently, which may help to offset the impact, if any, of increased commodity risk. The Renewable Energy Group seeks to mitigate impact on project returns by locking in generating equipment, construction prices, and offtake as close to contemporaneously as possible. We continue to invest in the 3,400 megawatt greenfield pipeline that we discussed at Investor Day. As a reminder, this greenfield pipeline investment is over and above our $9.4 billion capital plan. Our greenfield investments are focused on securing new opportunities and continuing to advance the project comprising the 3,400 megawatts. The Chevron projects are included in the 3,400 megawatt greenfield pipeline. These projects continue to progress well, and we are on track to achieve final investment decisions for the initial projects by year end. As discussed in the past, the Greenfield Pipeline is being built to replenish the more advanced projects included in our five-year $9.4 billion capital plan. I'm proud of all we've accomplished so far this year, but even more excited for what lies ahead. With society and economies working hard to minimize carbon emissions, I'm excited about how Algonquin's regulated and renewable businesses position the company to contribute to and benefit from this decarbonization transition. We have multiple levers of growth across our two businesses that I've spoken about throughout today's call, which gives me further confidence in our ability to execute and deliver on our five-year investment and growth plan. In summary, 2021 has been a very productive year so far as we continue to execute and deliver on the company's largest construction program in its history, with approximately 1,400 megawatts of the 1,600 megawatts already placed in service. For context, these new projects are expected to approximately double the size of the company's portfolio of renewable energy generation facilities that we own and operate. Our three strategic pillars of growth, operational excellence, and sustainability will be a key foundation as we continue to build the business and strive to deliver steady earnings and dividend growth, creating long-term shareholder value. With that, 
I will turn the call over to the operator for any questions from those on the line. Thank you. Once again, ladies and gentlemen, if you would like to ask a question, simply press star, then ring number one on your telephone keypad. If you would like to withdraw your question, press the pound key. And we'll now pause for just one moment to call the Q&A roster. And your first question comes from the line of Sean Stewart with TV Securities. BetMGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at BetMGM. Simply download the BetMGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same-game parlays, live bets and so much more download the app in virginia today and get 150 dollars in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at betmgm betmgm and GameSense remind you to play responsibly see betmgm.com for terms 21 plus only virginia only new customer offer subject to eligibility requirements rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days please gamble responsibly gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER promotional offer not available in washington dc thank you good morning and thanks for all the, the detailed commentary a um, couple of questions with respect to the the empire uh, rate request 10 percent roe and 52 percent equity thickness that looks similar to what was rejected last year. Can you give us some thoughts on the, the request this time? Um, what gives you confidence that this is um, reasonable and, and how things might have changed over the last year to, to give you that confidence? Sure. Uh, Sean, uh, good morning and thanks for, for that question. So, uh, look, first of all, it's still early. Uh, we just very recently filed uh, for that rate case. Uh, as we've said in uh, prior calls, uh, we continue to be confident in our, uh, in our uh, position on uh, equity thickness, uh, and we believe we will get the right outcome around equity thickness. Okay. Um, and, and further to that, the securitization of the costs tied to the, uh, the weather event, can you walk us through that process and, and how that could evolve to get the, the $30 million there? Sure. As you know, uh, Sean, uh, the, the legislature has recently passed uh, legislation of, uh, that, that uh, uh, approves securitization of such uh, extraordinary costs, and we do plan to uh, avail of that uh, mechanism. Uh, we are looking at uh, 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 we started the process, internal process uh, around that. Uh, just as a reminder. Uh, uh, of the $80 million uh, increase, you know, $30 million of that is, is uh, from Storm Uri. And uh, outside of that, our uh, rate case increase is, is more in the 7% uh, uh, range, uh, which translates approximately into 1.4% you know, CAGR uh, when you look at it from the last rate increase in 2017. Okay, and then one last question, maybe for Arthur. You guys seem very focused on obviously growth here, but any updated thoughts on capital recycling as a longer-term funding source to uh, feed the the broader uh, growth ambitions for the company? Any updated thoughts on 
potential for asset sales to fund earlier stage developments. So before I turn to Arthur, I will say that look, uh, you know, capital recycling is always on the agenda for us. Uh, uh, you know, when we announced that back in uh, uh, at Investor Day, we're still what six, seven months now from that uh, point onwards. Uh, still early days, but capital recycling is absolutely something we uh, continue to look at as an option. I, I don't really have anything to add, Sean. It's uh, it's all. It's on the radar. We, we look at it. Uh, it's uh, nothing concrete to talk about at this stage. Okay. Uh, thanks very much, guys. I'll get back in the queue. And your next question comes from the line of Rupert Merrer with National Bank. Good morning, everyone. Good morning, Rupert. So getting back to the uh, the rate cases that you filed, can you um, give us a sense of the, the timing of, of the hearings here? And are you seeking any additional smoothing mechanisms and, uh, and maybe a move off PISA accounting with the uh, rate case you filed with Empire? Sure. So we filed a rate case just uh, late May. Um, let me turn it to Johnny for, uh, for the uh, details. Yeah, so um, hearing schedule will be uh, later on uh, towards the back end, I think, of, of this year. We're not expecting a decision until Q2 um, of next year. Um, and you know, we will work through uh, with uh, the Commission and our stakeholders in terms of the best way to uh, implement any increase. So we're certainly open to uh, smoothing uh, rates in a way that, that works for other brokers. Uh, great, thanks. And Arun, uh, you've completed the Greening the Fleet initiative in Missouri. You're looking at some new uh, regulated investments at Calpico. Is there more to come here? How, how soon before you could look at, say, uh, Greening the Fleet Phase 2 in, in Missouri? Is, is there political support for doing uh, many more investments like this across your asset base? We uh, believe so, uh, Rupert. And again, you know, we're, we're proud of the fact that we are uh, you know, pretty much entrepreneurs uh, in, in this uh, uh, area. Uh, we look at it uh, across our existing fleet. In fact, even uh, on, on our water utilities, uh, which, uh, you know, there's a lot of energy that, that goes into moving uh, water, uh, and we, we, we look at that as well as, as an option. Uh, even when we acquired Belco, uh, one of the attractions for us was the fact that uh, in an island economy, uh, uh, it is pretty much all of it is, is a thermal uh, uh, generation, uh, and with customers paying over 30 cents per kilowatt hour, uh, and we strongly believe that there's a lot of uh, ability to green the fleet in, in that case as well. So that's something we look at uh, in, in pretty much every instance, whether it be with our existing uh, portfolio or, or anything new, uh, uh, you know, uh, possibilities we, we, we look at as well. So how long before you think we could see some, some more greening fleet initiatives, uh, like at, uh, at Pelco, for example? Uh, st stay tuned, Rupert. We're, we're, we're obviously excited to let everybody know as soon as we uh, are able to announce it. Okay, great. Well, I'll leave it there. Thank you. Thanks, Rupert. And your next question comes from line of Nelson Ng. Great, thanks everyone. Um, just to follow up on Rupert's uh, question, like now that you have finished greening or you've start, you finished the first phase of greening Empire, I'm just wondering, like bigger picture, 
um, now that you've kind of gone over that uh, hump on your capital plan, spending about a third of of the uh, of your five-year capital plan in the first six months, um, like if you, like, I guess the question is, um, if you see an opportunity that's similar to Empire, uh, where you had the opportunity to like buy some assets that has coal, like, like would you do it? Like, would you buy a utility with significant coal assets? Um, like, th- does that? Um, is that something you would look to do? Look, uh, it, it, it's a speculative question, and, and so uh, I, I, I'll answer it, it, it in a similar way, right? So, so first of all, uh, we have a very uh, attractive ESG profile. I mean, when you look at our carbon intensity at 0.0013 uh, per dollar for revenue, that's among the lowest, lowest among our peers, right? And, and in our history, uh, Nelson, I, I, I uh, like to repeat this uh, fact. You know, in our 33 years of existence, we've never ourselves uh, developed and therefore added to the world's stock of uh, emissions. And at the same time, you know, we are very good stewards of infrastructure. And, and so some of the numbers we gave you around Midwest uh, greening with a uh, you know, reduction of 26% uh, carbon intensity in just three years, in Calpico of 46%. Uh, reduction in carbon intensity in just three years. I, I think besides what we do on the renewable energy side of the business in terms of investing in renewable energy assets uh, uh, for the good of our customers and our shareholders and, and the world at large, I think it's a similar profile on the regulated side of greening the fleet, which I believe is good for our you know, uh, customers, our shareholders, and the world at large. So if there are, if there are similar kinds of opportunities where we can... Uh, uh, utilize our, our uh, you know, greening the fleet uh, initiatives, we will uh, take a hard look at that. Okay, thanks. That's clear. Um, and then just moving over to Calpico in terms of the uh, the rate case filing, I haven't gotten a chance to uh, go through it, but the uh, roughly $36 million increase um, seems like a big increase for a, for a utility that's, that's not that big. Could you just uh, run through some kind of big picture items in terms of what's driving the uh, the rate increase there at Calpico. Yes, and let me give the big picture, and I'll turn it over to Johnny. So the vast majority of that increase is really associated with what with wildfire mitigations. Uh, uh, as, as you know, I mean, in, in uh, California, in that greater geography, that's obviously something that's extremely important. Uh, we want to make sure we keep our our uh, customers and community safe, uh, uh, Johnny? Yeah, I mean, I think it, it, the, the, the short story is it's really it's what our wildfire uh, costs have driven that increase. And it's the investments that we're making to uh, uh, reduce the risk of uh, future impacts in the area, it's the ongoing activities of increasing our tree trimming uh, and uh, monitoring so that we are able to sort of take our lines out of service at, at high risk uh, time periods of time. I think maybe the, the important point to note, despite the significant increase, uh, even with uh, if, if it were fully approved, we'd still be one of the, the lowest cost rates in California. And actually, if you look at what the other uh, Californian utilities have been filing in terms of their rate increases, the majority of them have had 30 to 40 percent increases. Uh, that's sort of in this time frame, really driven by by similar activity. So, 
it is a big step up. There's no doubt. And we're always very focused on, on the billing pack for our customers, but really this has been driven by the evolving landscape in California. And just to follow up on that, like, is that increase, like, is it mostly to service higher operating costs, or are you making a lot of capital investments? Uh, like what, what's the mix, roughly? It's roughly 50-50. And so it, it is, there is significant investment going in in terms of putting in covered conductor, modernizing, uh, our switching and fusing uh, technology, as well as then some of the operating cost expenses uh, that are covered off. So these are roughly 50-50. Okay, thanks. I'll get back in the queue. Thanks, Milton. And your next question comes from the line of Ryan Greenwald with Bank of America. Good morning, everyone. Good morning, Ryan. So, good morning. Appreciate your commentary earlier on uh, potential coal opportunities and transition, but kind of given the media reports earlier this week, can you comment a bit more broadly just on your overall assessment of the regulated M&A landscape ahead of the pending CapEx update at the end of the year here? Sure. So, uh, as, as you know, everybody well knows, uh, just the number of regulated uh, M&A opportunities out there. You know, when you look at it in 2010, for example, or 2000 versus now, you know, that landscape has significantly uh, shortened. Right. So, just the number of uh, utilities out there are, are, are fewer uh, with, with some of the consolidation that has been going on. Uh, and, look, and if you look at our $9.4 billion five-year plan, right, uh, we only include uh, acquisitions that we've already announced. So you can find New York American Water in there. Uh, our our $9.4 billion uh, plan does not uh, depend on any future acquisitions. Uh, but uh, having said that, you know, we do look at that as, as a possible lever uh, another growth lever to enhance our growth even further and provide more shareholder value. Uh, so so that, that's really the context. Great. Thank you for that. And then given broader concerns around the supply chain and inflationary pressures, is this having any impact in the way you think about the development pipeline? Any hesitation to go through with some of the potential projects given pressure on returns? So far, we have not seen that, uh, Ryan. And, uh, and again, that, uh, uh, what, what we have seen is, is some of the increases on the supply chain uh, has been uh, uh, offset by, by uh, price increases on the offtake side uh, of, of, of the ledger. Um, and also, you know, one of the strategies we deploy is, is try to uh, uh, finalize the supply contracts, the construction contracts, uh, and the offtake contracts as close together as possible so that there is very little uh, residual risk uh, that we're taking in terms of uh, commodity uh, increases uh, and, 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 and the like. Uh, so, uh, so, so far, we, are, we continue to uh, accelerate our uh, greenfield pipeline and other uh, uh, such projects, but we always have the options of, of delaying anything if such a, uh, a contingency does happen. Great. I'll leave it there. Thanks for the time. Thanks, Ryan. And your next question comes from the line of Rob Hope with Scotiabank. Good morning. Um, first question is just on the 2021 EPS outlook that you reiterated. To, you know, 
as we're kind of halfway through the year, can you, can you talk about the puts and takes? You know, it looks like uh, taxes have been a pretty strong tailwind so far. Was that originally anticipated, or is that offsetting kind of some of the weakness we're seeing in the renewable generation side? Yeah. Hey, good morning, Rob. It's, it's uh, Arthur here. So, sure, I, I can speak to that. So, in terms of our outlook for the rest of the year, like I mentioned in my prepared uh, commentary, we are re reiterating our uh, guidance of the, between the 71 and 76. And in terms of uh, when setting that guidance, I mean, we factored in several things. Uh, one of the things, obviously, being uh, 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 impacts of COVID, which uh, thankfully we actually didn't see. So, so, so that is providing us a little bit of room. On, on the flip side, I mean, we did have a little bit of uh, milder weather, uh, obviously, throughout the year as well. So, so that those, those two things are, to some extent, uh, offsetting. Now, to your second uh, question around tax credits, and uh, I would say portion of the tax credits Yes, we're not on plan, but, but maybe it's, it's, it's more of a function of, uh, of geography or where, the, where they're uh, recorded. And, and I'll explain uh, a little bit further where, um, as you're aware, we had the delays in, uh, in, in the final commissioning of, of Maverick and Sugar Creek due to, the, uh, uh, due to the blade issues there. So what that basically did is, in essence, it, it delayed the, uh, the final investment by tax equity uh, into those projects. So Normally, what we would have seen for the year is uh, if tax equity invested, we would have seen that those, those uh, credits that were generated for, from the, uh, the turbines that were operating going through, uh, through HLBD versus here, we had the opportunity to obviously take those credits and, and self-monetize them. So, so, so you're maybe seeing a little bit more in, in the tax line versus what you would have been seen a little bit more in the, uh, the EBITDA line otherwise if that wasn't the case. But, but overall, it, uh, it kind of washes it in, in the results. That's a great color. Thank you. And then maybe just a follow-up question on the Aries uh, partnership there. Can you, can you just walk us through uh, your thinking of not taking 100% of Aegis as well as, you know, whether or not, you know, I guess what does Aries bring to the table and kind of, you know, what future partnerships could look there? So, uh, Rob, uh, just to give you context, as, as you know, you know, Abin Goa was our 50% partner on ages, and uh, uh, given all of the challenges that they were having with uh, restructuring, we felt it was timely for us to find a new partner, uh, and so we have exercised the option, uh, and uh, we uh, uh, believe Aries uh, does uh, provide quite quite a bit of uh, uh, constructive. Uh, uh, experience and, and know-how in this sector, and they were, in 2020, for example, one of the uh, 10 largest uh, wind uh, financiers. Uh, they also have uh, uh, companies uh, that, that are in the construction business as well. Uh, so we believe that, that uh, they bring both uh, the, the uh, development and construction expertise as well as uh, financing capability to you know, develop and, and to uh, finance our uh, construction activities. Uh, and, and that's where uh, the fit is. Thank you. Thanks, Rob. And your, and your next question comes from lineup Ben Pham with BMO. Hey, thanks. Good morning. I've got a couple of follow-up questions on utility M&A. Can you comment more, uh, more broadly the, the criteria that you're most focused on now, uh, size, Geographic diversification, uh, synergies, you know, anything else you can share. And then 
uh, more specifically, uh, just listening to your your answers to, to earlier questions and with with these Kentucky assets, would that would that fit into your your overall uh, uh, preferences or, or targeting? Sure. Uh, there are lots of questions in there, so let me try to uh, uh, cut through those uh, questions. Right. So first, first of all, geography is pretty clear. I mean, it's North America, uh, and and again, uh, we, we don't say never on uh, other than uh, North America. So, for example, you know, Chile was a case in point, but by and large, the geography is North America, right? Uh, we are one of the few companies that are across all three modalities, uh, electric, uh, water, and gas. Uh, uh, we are uh, very, very bullish on, on uh, electric and, and water. They, they fit extremely well with our ESG profile. Uh, right now on the gas side, we are focused much more on, uh, on uh, uh, deploying renewable natural gas into our facilities. Uh, uh, we have filed the first one in New Hampshire. We're looking at a pipeline of a lot more. Uh, and we're also looking at green hydrogen. We, uh, in New Brunswick, for example, we participated in a, in a, in a maritime study, uh, and we are following a, a number of other uh, pilot projects that are out there in green hydrogen. That's our focus on, on uh, uh, the gas modality. So, uh, but on specific, you know, uh, transactions, you know, we have a policy never to comment on specific transactions. So I'll probably leave it at that. Okay, and then uh, accretion, you want you want accretion out of the gate? Oh, on, on the financial, absolutely. I mean, look, I mean, we, we don't, uh, we, we look at, you know, from a strategy perspective, clearly it has to fit all of our strategic objectives, but we do we do not make, do transactions based upon strategy. I and mean, these transactions absolutely have to stand on their own. Uh, we look at a lot of different metrics, uh, uh, and, and we are extremely disciplined around those, and, uh, we obviously, you know, end up not doing many more transactions than we end up uh, transacting on. So, uh, absolutely, extremely disciplined around the financial metrics. Okay, and, and then, and then the second one is is based on the funding signing here. We have to keep companies made made a bit larger than than usually. You have to every month your balance sheet offered, Medicare convert to their room, you mentioned the hybrid. Like how how would you think about that impacting your funding plan? Yeah, I mean, and, uh, you know, from our perspective, I mean, one thing I would say maybe generally, look, we, we've uh, we've never kind of fallen behind on, on our balance sheet strength. We always uh, we maintain a strong balance sheet. So I think that that itself kind of brings us from a, you know, from a position of, of strength, call it. Uh, you know, to some extent, I mean, in speculating around any any funding sources, as I said in my prepared remarks, lots of tools in the shed, right, in terms of uh, what, what to be able to uh, – uh, where, where to source capital. Okay, that's great. Thank you. And your next question comes from the line of Mark Jarvie with CIBC. Thanks. Good morning, everyone. just wanted to clarify one thing on, on the response to Ben's question. We talked about the different financial metrics you look at for a deal-making sense. Was EPS accretion sort of the top list? It wasn't 100% clear EPS accretion has to be on day one. Absolutely. We look at our EPS accretion. That's probably our most fundamental and most uh, important uh, metric we look at. Absolutely, Mark. Oh, perfect. Thanks for that. And then um, obviously lots of uh, 
wildfire action in California this year, and you know we've seen reports of the ice hundred de-energized lines um, at uh, Calpico. Can you just update us in terms of any earnings hit or any potential liabilities that uh, might be faced, or so far you've been unscathed by uh, that uh, wildfire action? Sure. So I think, uh, you know, Mark, we did report earlier. Uh, we talked about the uh, the Mountain Dew wildfire, and the, the investigation continues uh, on that one. Uh, uh, we also recently faced another wildfire, uh, uh, the Tamarack uh, wildfire, which is a much uh, smaller uh, one in, in, in comparison. Uh, that one is largely uh, contained. Uh, we uh, our, our look at our employees did an amazing job. Uh, in terms of mitigating that wildfire and bringing all of the customers back online in a very, very short period of time. Uh, it was extremely impressive to see you know, what, what our employees were able to do out there in bringing uh, you know, generators in place, even for just a few customers, uh, because you know, reliability is so important. Uh, and yes, and that was all of the you know, background and context behind what we're seeking for uh, in terms of the new, new rate case, because we do believe we need to continue to invest uh, in wildfire mitigation uh, uh, aspects, and, and that is really the context behind uh, the most recent uh, rate case. Uh, okay, and then just w one more thing, just on the Aries partnership in the simplification, maybe Arthur, you can explain in terms of it, will all the investments flow through your own financial statements, or is there still some SPVs involved in some of that stuff, and um, any capital commitments from Aries um, on any investments going forward? So maybe the simplest answer is, in essence, how it's going to flow through the financial statements. It's basically status quo in terms of how you currently see it to the extent that uh, you will still see uh, CBASE you know, being accounted for as a joint venture. Okay. Thanks for that. And your next question comes from the line of Naji Beidoun with IA Capital Market. Hi, good morning. Um, I just wanted to start with the uh, renewable projects that are already uh, in, in, uh, in the hopper. Can you just remind us of what's contracted? So Shady Oaks, you have the contract with J.P. Morgan. What about the uh, Ohio solar projects or, or some of the other projects um, coming on the pipeline? Sure. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, thanks, Arun. Happy to do that, Near. Absolutely right with uh, with Shady Oaks too in terms of the the offtake with J.P. Morgan. Uh, the new market uh, portfolio is also contracted, and uh, and but all the the projects that we have under active construction are are contracted at, at this point in time. Okay, but I, I guess the other projects that are in what's called them advanced development are those. Uh, what, what's still left to be contracted from those? Yeah, so the the two we've got the Sandy Ridge two, which is in advanced development, which is contracted, and we've got Deerfield two, which were in active discussions on on contracting, but have not signed the contract yet. Okay, okay, got it. That's good. Um, and just and on, on the line. Just for context, I mean, the offtake contracting happens towards the really very end before what we say internally as notice to proceed. So that's where we try to make sure we we uh, uh, you know the supply contract, contract, the construction contract, and the offtake contract comes together, and that's when we go notice to proceed. So usually it really happens towards the end of the development uh, cycle. 
the learning project, is, is this both the solar and the storage system uh, uh, together that, uh, that you're working on? That is correct. Uh, it's, a, it's a solar plus a 240 megawatt hour uh, battery and storage system. That's correct. Okay. I, I just want to get your thoughts broadly on, I guess, how you're thinking about storage. This is maybe the first project within the utility business, but just wondering how you're thinking about storage, both within the regulated portfolio, but also maybe the non-regulated uh, out of the house actually we already have around what uh, 20 megawatts worth of capacity on on the uh, regulated side of the business on on storage uh, and uh, on on the uh, renewable energy side of the business our first project in new york state uh, is under construction that uh, it's a solar plus uh, uh, battery storage project look and given the prices uh, on, on uh, storage uh, and the ability to uh, shape uh, perhaps uh, you know, the, the energy uh, outflows. We look at storage on, on, on every wind and solar, solar project to see if it makes sense. And uh, so it, it's very much part, part of the equation already. Okay, so it sounds like there's maybe opportunities on, uh, to, to add on, on both sides. Absolutely. Uh, and, and again, the, the, the reason I was telling you about the 20 megawatt plus on, on the regulator side is we're already deeply in it. Uh, we already have a lot of know-how and experience in operating uh, these battery storage systems. So we absolutely will continue to look at storage as, 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 as yet another area of technology growth. Understood. That's, that's very helpful. Just, um, I guess, last question on that is what I also meant by regulated versus non-regulated, maybe how you think about the risk and the returns. And if you had to choose a project would you, on, on the storage side, does it make more sense for you today to have it uh, within the utilities or not? I mean, look, the, the risk profile is, uh, is, is somewhat uh, different on the two sides, uh, but not that much given the fact that even on our uh, renewable side of the business, it's largely contracted. It was a long-term contract, you know, remainder average waiting life was 13 years. Uh, but still, you know, there, there, there is some uh, uh, risk-reward uh, difference. I, 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 but it's not large enough for us to say, you know, we're going to put all of our capital on stores on one side or, or the other. I mean, we believe that there's a lot of opportunities on, on both the regulated and the renewable uh, side of the business. Okay, got it. Thank you. Thanks, Najee. And your final question comes from line of David. Posada with Raymond James. Thanks. Uh, morning, everyone. Just just one quick one for me. Erin, um, you mentioned renewable natural gas a little bit in your comments. Just wondering if there's any color you could provide around the timing and maybe the quantum of that opportunity. And given the, the tax credit that has been, uh, I guess, proposed, uh, could you look at that outside of the regulated footprint? Uh, absolutely, David. Uh, we are already looking at it outside our uh, regulated footprint as well. Uh, we have uh, a development pipeline across every one of our gas utilities uh, that, that is looking at uh, renewable natural gas. Uh, we believe that at, at its maximum, uh, it could actually substitute for approximately 25% of all of the natural gas that flows through our, our gas LDC system. So it's pretty attractive from that perspective. Uh, the pricing is something obviously we're working on. Uh, you know, one of the things we're very focused on try is trying to make sure that it doesn't impact 
uh, you know, customer bills, so we're looking at different kinds of structures. I, it reminds me of the days of, uh, you know, uh, renewable energy uh, a, a decade ago when, when the prices were, were higher, uh, but there were enough uh, of, of a customer base out there that were willing to pay higher prices uh, for, for the sustainability gain for renewable energy. And I think we see a, a similar pattern on, on the renewable uh, natural gas side as well, where there's enough of a, uh, of a you know, commercial and industrial customer base that is willing to pay uh, the initial higher uh, prices uh, on renewable natural gas. Now, a lot of the stuff that is going on in, 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 uh, with the Biden administration climate action uh, bills uh, should help you know, in terms of bringing that cost down even further. So we're absolutely looking at that uh, and, and have uh, fairly uh, robust uh, development pipeline on energy. That's great, caller. Thank you very much. Okay. David, thank you uh, very much, and uh, uh, thank you, everyone, for taking the time on our call today. Uh, with that, please stay on the line for our disclaimer. Thanks, Arun. Our discussion during this call contains certain forward-looking information, including but not limited to our expectations regarding earnings, capital expenditures, and size and timing for completion of our project. This forward-looking information is based on certain assumptions, including those described in our most recent MD&A filed on CEDAR and EDGAR, and available on our website, and is subject to risks and uncertainties that could cause actual results to differ materially from historical results or results anticipated by the forward-looking information. Forward-looking information provided during this call speaks only as of the date of this call and is based on the plans, beliefs, estimates, projections, expectations, opinions, and assumptions of management as of today's date. There can be no assurance that forward-looking information will prove to be accurate and you should not place undue reliance on forward-looking information. We disclaim any obligation to update any forward-looking information or to explain any material difference between subsequent actual events and such forward-looking information, except as required by applicable law. In addition, during the course of this call, we may have referred to certain non-GAAP financial measures, including but not limited to adjusted net earnings, adjusted net earnings per share or adjusted net EPS, adjusted EBITDA, adjusted funds from operations, and divisional operating profit. There is no standardized measure of such non-GAAP financial measures, and consequently, AQM's method of calculating these measures may differ from methods used by other companies, and therefore, they may not be comparable to similar measures presented by other companies. For, for more information about both forward-looking information and non-GAAP financial measures, including a reconciliation of non-GAAP measures to the corresponding GAAP measures, please refer to our most recent MD&A filed on CEDAR in Canada or EDGAR in the United States and available on our website. And that concludes the conference call. And this concludes today's conference call. Thank you for your participation. May now all disconnect. Thank you for listening to TSX Quarterly. If you enjoyed the cast, remember to leave a good rating. And remember, for any additional inquiries, please consult the company's investor relations section on their website. See you next time.